friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello. This is the MC Lars Podcast. It is June 8th, 2020. This is episode 93, part two of my two-part series on the Rondo Brothers. This week I talked to Brandon, and uh, Brandon and Jim are very different, and you'll see through their, just basically how they answered the questions. Um, you'll see how how they're different, but how they complement each other. And I like this episode because it shows how Brandon is very versatile and energetic. And he reminded me that I linked Hoodie Allen with them back in the day. Hoodie Allen, who's a rapper, an East Coast rapper who kind of does like pop rap stuff. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he does have a lot of social media followers and he gets a lot of plays. And it kind of all started with an introduction I made between the Rondo brothers and him. So I found the old email where Hoodie Allen, where a friend of ours, actually, wait, what? Charlie was like, hey, you should... uh, See, can you link my friend Hoodie Allen with like a producer in the Bay Area? And so I linked them. The rest was history. So that was cool. I didn't realize I hadn't put it together what had happened with that story. But that's what the music industry is about: helping people, connecting people, keeping it moving. And the Ronda Brothers definitely pay it forward. Uh, I want to shout out the Patreon Larshins for keeping this industry alive. The MC Lars content industry. Shout out to the old ones: Maverick, Joe, and Jaron. And shout out to the new ones. Ryan, Aaron, and Browse and Cello. Thank you for signing up. If you sign up for the MC Lars Patreon, not only do you get two new songs a month, you get, if you donate at the $10 a song level, you get an exclusive pin pack, art, and of course, you get access to the entire MC Lars discography, some of which is not on Bandcamp, like rare, old, old stuff. Um, I am doing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course, and I'm doing my Spider-Man song this week. And then what next? Oh yeah, Doctor Strange. So, and I'm coming to the end of my MCU catalog. So I'm, there's a few different series of songs I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do my Lars Wars album, which is something that I've been wanting to do for a while, which is a song about every movie in the Star Wars canon, including the Christmas episode, excuse me, the holiday episode, uh, including the Mandalorian, including the Clone Wars. It's going to be a big project. So I think that's going to be the next one, Lars Wars, which is like the MCU thing was like a double album where you get a song, two songs a month, and these albums aren't available elsewhere, so you want to sign up for that flavor. I think we're all ready for some good news. It was positive to see peaceful protests happening. I did a post about the Black Lives Matter movement on my Facebook, so check that out. I don't want to keep talking about it, but I'm happy to engage in dialogue if anyone wants to jump on social media and ask me questions about how we can be allies for people of color and uh, for people of color who are fans listening, how I can help educate my fans to fight racism. I think that's pretty like non-controversial and humanist to make that point. I want to introduce the section of the show. We do this every week now where when our son Atlas was born, who he's now over a month, he weighs about 10 pounds. He's doing great. He had a rough night last night. So I was up with him most of the night and then shout out to my awesome mother-in-law Barbara who comes in the morning and helps out so I can get a few hours sleep in the morning but anyway when Atlas was born I posted the Google Voice number so y'all can leave messages this is a message from Daria who is a friend and fan I've known for years who has a really great letterboxed account she watches all sorts of movies she's a cinephile she's a pop culture expert and she left this really sweet message for our son so this is a section called 
Letters to Atlas. Here we go. Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just checking in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Lars and friends. This is Daria calling. I saw a post saying to leave a little message for Atlas when he gets older. And I've been getting so emotional seeing all these posts because you know, if I could say anything to Atlas when he gets older is, you know, your dad helped me grow up in a lot of ways. I've known him for about 10 years now from when I was 12 years old on to me being an adult now. And now that I have, you know, my own life, my own home, my own family, I look back and think that having your dad around me growing up really helped me shape me into a person I am today. You know, I didn't have many role models to look up to or people to lead me in the direction that I needed. And I just can't imagine the person I would be today without your father being there to give me so many opportunities and words of wisdom and just the direction I really needed in life at the time that I really didn't have anybody. So you should be really lucky that you have such an amazing person around your life. And with him being your father, you kind of get all of us as family too. Um, when you get older, if you ever need someone to talk to about any weird, obscure weird film stuff you know i'm always here atlas and i just want you to know that you really do have people that love you and care about you and i'm one of them your dad's one of the greatest people and he's given me a lot in my life and i couldn't be more thankful for everything and i hope you see you come to know that as well I'm jumbling all over myself i just got off work but i just want to let you know that i love you i love your dad i love your mom and i'm sending all the love here from illinois to you guys Bye. Thank you, Daria. That's so sweet. That means a lot. And uh, thank you for taking the time to call in. Okay, what else? I have an album I made about Bible songs that's coming out in a few weeks. Ten songs about like my favorite books and stories from the Bible. It's not religious. It's more kind of looking at the Bible as a literary text. So check that out. That's coming out in a few weeks. The Patreon supporters are going to get it before everyone else. And Revenge of the Nerds 2. Featuring Frontalot, Mega Rant, Sky Blue, Lexa Lexicon Artists, Former Fat Boys, Beefy, Whitey Cracker, uh, Mega Rant. Did I mention him? Yes, I did. I, who am I forgetting? Shave of the Dark Lord. Anyway, there's a lot of rappers on this jam, and the song is on Spotify. It's on Bandcamp. Revenge of the Nerds Part 2. It's our COVID-19 collab, internet collab. But speaking of collabs, let's get into it. This is my interview with Brandon from the Rondo Brothers right here on the MC Lars Podcast. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Brandon of the Rondo Brothers, a dude I've known for 15 years, and uh, we are doing this interview remotely amidst the uh, COVID-19 adventure. So talk to me about like how has everything been recently? I know you are a father and an artist and a entrepreneurial man. Like how has the corona affected you in recent times? <sighs> well, so I'm a really optimistic person. So um I'm always thinking, you know, really positively. Sometimes I'm optimistic to a fault. So it's been good. This is an, as an overarching intro. It's been good to have um Sarah, my girlfriend of 10 years as of Tuesday. We had our 10th year anniversary. Um, and just side note, we went, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll get back to that a little later because it's a little bit more of a surprise if I give you some 
um, build up to it. Anyway, um, she's been like super attentive to all the news and all the briefings, uh, whether it's the government, the, the, you know, the federal government, the local government, the state government. She's been watching all that stuff. So she's like been totally keeping me up to date as to like all the new precautions, all the new measures that are happening. Um, you know, unfortunately, some of the some of the un, some of the bad news, right, with the deaths and and you know different people sort of out of commission. Um, but yeah, we've been here at the house. Um, I own a small bakery in the mission called Mission Minis. Uh, mission Minis, obviously, uh, you know, based off the mandate to shut all non-essential businesses temporarily shut. Um, we 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 shop at a place called Restaurant Depot. Um, which is kind of like Costco, but for like restaurants. So you can get like massive things of cheese or you could get like a 50 pound bag of onions. You can even get a whole cow at Restaurant Depot. And when you're in there, you see a lot of people mm -hmm. shopping that have, you know, Chinese restaurants or Mexican restaurants or just you can tell like you can see your, your, your neighborhood restaurants shopping in there when you're in there. And one thing we did when the bakery decided to um, temporarily shut was we opened up um, sort of a shopping cart to all of our employees and everybody sort of mixed and matched and, and, and was able to sort of make a big last purchase from Restaurant Depot. They're still open because restaurants are essential um, that are doing delivery and pick up and, you know, handoff or whatever. So um, but we, we didn't really want to go to Restaurant Depot a bunch. It's a little it's a little like touchy. You're, like your shopping cart is all huge and there's a lot. I mean, you know, it's clean as they can be. But um, anyway, we want to shelter in place. Right. So we did a big shopping there and we shared a ton of stuff with a ton of the employees. So. If someone wanted, you know, avocados, no one's going to get a box of avocados, but it'd be cool to get that box and share it with six of us. Um, mm. So we put together care packages for all the employees at the bakery. Um, the bakery shut. Both kids are homeschooled, or not homeschooled, but computer schooled. Um, Rowan, the four-year-old, um, he, he kind of goes back and forth on liking it and not liking it as much. Um, he's like, do I have to go to computer school again? Can I go to real school um, Tristan, who's a freshman in high school, who's 15, totally gets it. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go study for my Spanish quiz or I'm going to go take a test or, you know, it took him a minute, but he fully settled in. And actually he's doing much better in school. Um, wow. Yeah. He goes to urban school, this really cool school in, um, in the hate area. And, um, it's an expensive school and it's a really good school. And I want to make sure he's getting, you know, the most out of it. So seeing his reports, um, you know, get a little better in this time of, of home homeness, um, has been kind of a positive. Um, I, I've still gone, I've still go, I go running every now and then I go, I try to go running like every couple of days, like three mile runs. And I've, I've continued doing that. Um, as you remember, we live across the street from the general hospital. So, mm -hmm. um, it's a little ground zero ish in terms of the streets and like the kind of obstacle course, um, like, you know, you condoms and needles and vomit and feces and, some of the uh, some non so del delightful things, but um, when we go on, when I go on a run or when I'll take the kids on a walk, which we try and do a lot, we'll try to go like out, you know, into the neighborhood more and not be like out by the hospital as much. Um, and we found some good paths. Um, I mean, yeah, dude, I look at my phone every every now and then, and I'll see like you. I literally went like thirteen steps in a day. Like you just if, right. you, don't, if you don't like mandate it and you don't um, you know have some rigor around getting out, like you can easily not. Um, um, no one, I know, I do know some people that have gotten it. I do know, I do know through people sort of that six degrees of separation and some people who unfortunately passed away. Um, some of them I think had pre-existing conditions like diabetes and, and blood, high blood pressure, high blood sugar. Um, a couple of my friends, boyfriends have it or had it. Um, 
I was taking care of my mom when the mandate came. She had broken her leg in January. She was at a film festival in Palm Springs. She's 82, but a super active 82-year-old. Like, she used to walk. Well, she will get back to it, but she walks quite a bit. She's pretty active. So when she broke her leg, um, she needed me to help, like, you know, make food and, you know, help her with getting things she needs and even some bathroom stuff. So I was down there literally when this thing hit. And my, my girlfriend and I had to kind of make the decision of, like, you can't keep going, you know, like, make sure she's not in, you know, medical emergency need anymore and then kind of peel back. And so she's like, you can keep coming. I'm fine because we already hung out. I'm fine. And I'm like, well, mom, it's not really that. It's like I go jogging. I go to the store every now and then. I don't want to bring it to you. And she's like, well, I'm immune. Right. Yeah, she's like, I'm immune to it. I can't get it. I'm immune. And I'm like, how are you immune, mom? And she's like, well, I take zinc and silver and I rub oregano on my feet. And she's kind of um, um, alternative medicine person. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, I'm, I hear you, but I, I'm still not going to visit for a little while. And, and her, her conditions have, have gotten so much better that it, it's really more around um, just having companionship. So I try to FaceTime her and we call her a lot. Um, but yeah, the bakery shut. The kids are homeschooling. We're shut, we'll shelter in place. We try not to shop. We try not to shop more than once every 10 days. Um, and then my day job, I work at Rodan and Fields, um, like a high-end skincare company uh, on an e-commerce, you know, platform. So we've all, that went in sort of a, a phased, um, um, sort of a, a phased effort in terms of what happened. At first it was like, okay, whoever wants to work at home can. And then they're like, okay, now everybody has to work at home. And then they're like, okay, mm. now the building is straight up locked. You know, so we watched those those memos come, um, and our business is is not hit as bad as say like you know a restaurant or God, what are the ones really getting hit hard? Um, you know, a masseuse or a hair salon or you know places where you're really around people. My my boxing class isn't happening. My gym. So Rodan and Fields wasn't hit as hard. Um, they, there has definitely been a little dip, but if you think about it, our marketing channel is direct selling. Think about sort of like Avon or Tupperware or Mary Kay. So it's a side gig. So people are able to now pick up a side gig and sell skincare products to their friends and their cohorts without having to go see them in person. So in a way, um, it could it could thrive or it could you know survive during this. Um, I strangely I've been like more busy than I was when I was in the office every day. Um, but yeah, we're we're still we have our commercial calendar, new products coming out, uh, trying to make the website better, make the conversion to you know easier to check out and to buy things. We just um, we just put in a guest checkout experience where we didn't have one before. I'm sure you're all familiar with guest checkout. Um, but we, right. you know, we, we're sort of um, a little bit young in the UX um, you know, life cycle. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's what I do. I'm the manager of the UX team. I'm there to sort of bring us into the modern day, if you will. Did you grow up in the Bay Area? I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. are you from originally? Born and raised in Mountain yeah. View. Um, I was born at El Camino Hospital, um, not too far from your world in terms of, you know, um, Monterey. If that's where you were born, I can't remember. Um, I grew up down there. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Mountain View. I went to Los Altos High. We used to take the train all the time up to the city to skate. Um, one really cool sort of music historical data point in my life was um, coming up to see... Um, ACDC in like 1984 with all my friends we took we took we I think we were 15 we skateboarded to the train station we took Caltrain up and we went I don't know how my our parents let us do this we had tickets to go see ACDC I think it was at the Cow Palace and we had our skateboards and we hid our skateboards like in the bushes 
And, you know, they went to the concert, yeah. super killer concert. Afterward, got our skateboards, got on the train, went home, like, way before the internet, way before cell phones. And we were, and it's, like, weird to think back, like, how did we coordinate everything? Like, how did we know where to meet each other? You're just, like, meet me under right. the tree at 7 p.m. Or, you know. Um, but, yeah, grew up in the Bay Area, um, hung in the city a lot, uh, went to Los Aldos High, and then went to college in Chico, which is um, a, a little town a couple of hours above Sacramento. Um, if you think about it, it's kind of like Chico, Davis, and Sacramento are kind of a little trifecta of colleges up north that aren't too far from each other. Um, and yeah, Chico had has a big reputation of being a party school, which it was, as as many colleges are. But um, yeah, Chico was good. Um, I was a Japanese major, which um, I, had, I didn't know that. Yeah, I haven't really tapped that <laughs> skill set all that much. I will say, Rodan and Fields just. Um, just launched, just announced that we're going to be going into Japan as a, as another country we're sort of turning on. And so I, um, I helped design a lot of the screens for Japan. Um, obviously I had to get them localized, but I got to work with the Japan team and, you know, I got to use my 10 words that I still remember from learning Japanese. Um, and <laughs> but, yeah. And then, you know, halfway through college, three quarters of the way through college, I was like, you're definitely going to be a rock star. So you can leave this town and go pursue your, your real dream of, of becoming Led Zeppelin and taking over the world from, from the stage. Uh, so I did not actually graduate college, fun fact. When did you meet Jim? Was it like a, around that time or? Not too far after. So we all decided we all decided to leave Chico and move to San Francisco. Obviously, this would be like a okay. better city to come out of than Chico, right? Although um, right. good friends, Mother Hips, totally kind of came out of San Francisco and they're still alive and thriving today, sort of a a Cali soul band, almost a little like jam bandy. I don't know if you heard of them, but yeah, Mother Hips came out yeah. of Chico. But we decided to come to the city. We thought this would be the place to kind of, you know, make our noise. And the really popular place to play here at the time was called the Paradise Lounge. And mm. um, the Paradise Lounge was awesome because it had three stages. And the people that booked it were like really like artist focused. And the owners were really artist focused. And when one stage was getting ready, the other stage would just be finishing up, and then another stage would be kind of on deck. So you kind of had music happening throughout the night, and we, you know, that was the place to get into. So we would play, we'd play this little place called Brainwash, which was like a laundromat. Or when I called Paradise Lounge, I said, hey, we want to get a gig here. And they said, well, can you bring 50 people? The same old spiel, right? Or can you bring 100 right. people or whatever? And I was like, not quite. Maybe we could bring 15 people, and my mom and dad will come. And so... <laughs> <laughs> they gave me some ideas as to where to sort of build up our crowd. And those places at the time were the Boomerang, the Brainwash, um, and Hotel Utah. And I'm sure some of you listening to this will mm. be familiar with those. Um, I think the Boomerang turned into Milk Bar. It's across from Amoeba in, in Upper Hate. Um, Hotel Utah is still there in some sort of incarnation. And then Brainwash closed, unfortunately. It was pretty cool because they would do like comedy, they do bands, and they had a killer cafe, and they had you could do your laundry there. So it seemed like a good resource, but we did what they said. We went and built up a crowd, um, and then we called Paradise again, and we finally got in, and maybe it was a Tuesday night. But sort of long story short, um, as, we, as our relationship with the Paradise Lounge grew and grew, um, they hired a new booker, and that happened to be Jim Greer. Um, so Jim, oh, wow. Yeah, so Jim would book my band at the time. Uh, was called JoJo, and Jim would book JoJo, and, and you know we, of course, wanted to be his friend because he was the booker. And, and so we would kind of make, make time to connect with him or get lunch or something. And I mean, not selfishly, but also sort of selfishly. Um, and then we would come up to his office there and he would show us these big boxes of tapes and he would literally like listen to tapes all day long and make these, like use a Rolodex and make little entries for all the bands like Blue Period, um, Spencer the Gardener, um, you know, 
what, uh, who, uh, the Cardiff Reefers, just that you see all these bands, whether they're like a reggae band from San Diego or some original band from the area or coming from out of town, and you'd see all the Rolodex and it would say, you know, vocals sound kind of like this or that, or, you know, these guys are super, super punk, would pair well with blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's what he did. And I was like, that's really cool that you do that. And you, you guys actually take the time and you're not just booking your friends or whatever, right? Um, but yeah. we, we met him, we met him at Paradise because he was the booker. And then we just knew he was a multi-instrumentalist, our band did. And we were like, dude, you should come play like Rhodes or Wurlitzer on one of a song one night when we're playing Paradise. And I guess slowly but surely we became sort of musical friends as well. So he would come and sit in on sessions when JoJo was recording albums he would come sit in with us on stage. And then he had a ton of bands. Um, I remember one called Visitor Jim, where everybody in the band was named Jim, including obviously Jim Greer. Um, right. He had a ton of bands and he did a ton of really cool, innovative stuff. I remember he, he just loved playing and loved performing and loved, um, he, he's like a genuine, true lover of music and musicians. You know, I think, and I, I'm guilty of sort of, you know, being in the music scene for you know, some other things like, you know, girls and beer and whatever. I, I like music too, but like Jim, Jim is really like very genuine person. Um, right. And uh, yeah, it was just cool. Uh, his bands were fun. So I remember once he just wanted to keep playing and um, he, he started a label called Fortune Records and he signed some local bands. I think at the time he signed Gun and Doll Show. They were really popular. And he signed another band called 20 Minute Loop, also really popular. So he was always playing, whether he was sitting in with them or us or his own thing. But one night he wanted to do a gig and no one could, you know, one could play with him that night. So he literally set up like cardboard people, cardboard cutouts of people and was like, here's my band. Like, there's that guy and there's that guy. And like, right. it was a really novel idea. And actually looking at it now, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people are doing sort of virtual things. Right. And, and Jim was sort of a pioneer in that whole kind of. Um, if I can't be, if my band can't be here, then you'll be, you'll be there represented by some other, you know, visual asset, if you will. So when did y'all hook up with Dan Automator and start doing the head automatica stuff? Like how, how many years was that from when you met Jim? And I, um, I interviewed Vinny Caruana a, a few months ago and he, he told his version of the story. So the listeners might be into that story. So Jim was the booker at paradise and his boss was Tony Isabella. And Tony Isabella, okay. um, she had been, um, uh, she was, she came from BGP, Bill Graham Presents, right? So Bill Graham Presents was a big production company, which, you know, they built Shoreline. They booked everybody from Metallica to, you know, The Cure. To, I mean, they, and they also managed bands. And so I think when Tony was at Bill Graham Presents, one, and this is interesting, back in like the late 80s, rap and, and, and hard rock were like in the same like, like category somehow. Like if you look at an old yeah. old band magazine, it'll be like pop, jazz, blues, whatever. But it was like it was like hard rock and rap. Like somehow they were like in the and you kind of can see that, right? And so yeah, Tony managed Slayer, and she also managed Dan the Automator. So she managed this local up and coming like hip hop DJ, and she managed like a super heavy band. In fact, she's got some crazy stories. I think she got Slayer to open up for. She got she and she was friends with Metallica. She got Metallica to play one of the Day on the Greens at Candlestick Park way back in the day when they were like 19 and they super thrashed their um, RV and like everybody got busted. Like they just thrashed it. And it was like a huge story of like, you're never going to play in this town again. And, you know, and, and Tony was like, dude, I got you guys that gig. Why'd you like ruin, you know, ruin my sitch for that. And anyway, Tony, yeah. Tony managed Dan the Automator. When she left BGP, she still managed him. 
And um, we, Jim and I immediately met him. Um, super cool dude, lives in the city, born and raised here. Um, he DJed a lot, and, and we knew a little bit of his past, but not much. And immediately in, in, in meeting Dan, um, we started to work together in, in a couple of different formats. I started doing album layouts for him. So, you know, he mm, knew... He like knew, you did the octagon layout, right? Yeah, yeah. So he knew he knew we played guitar, and he knew I was a, a guitar a, a musician, and I was like, you got to see, come see my band play. And Jim was like, you got to come see our bands play. And like, we weren't really the genre that, that was his thing, but he would come out and watch yeah. us and be like, yeah, you guys are cool. Or, you know, your singer sucks or that your drummer's good or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but uh, I started working with them, you know, formally on um, the Dr. Octagon album, which, you know, when I was first listening to it, I was like, this is some weird spacey stuff. But now I'm like, this is amazing. I love it. It's timeless. It was pioneering. Um, it was leveraging all sorts of, um, you know, historical genre related stuff. And just, I, I totally get it now. It's definitely like a, a cult classic that that is very known. Um, but at the time, yeah, I was sort of just thrown into it as, as the designer. So they said, look, we want to use this guy, Pusshead. He lives here in the mission. He's the guy that did all the album covers for Metallica. He did like Ride the Lightning right. and um, Ride the Lightning and Kill 'Em All and all that stuff. But I think, I think more importantly, it was the, the his like, is is um illustrations right i think somewhere in there so he designed he he drew this awesome um cover to um, um the album which was this like medical skull you know a skeleton like in the in a, in a medical setting with like blood on his on his apron or whatever and um i right. I, I remember literally like going to pusshead's house and picking up the, the real art and we would, I would took I took the real you know the real the real original and I took it to a local spot um, that would like do like really um, high res like drum scans like you know how every fax machine has a scanner on it now back in the day you could okay. get you could get something professionally drum scanned and it would be where the art would get like you know multi tiers of resolution scan scanned on it and so the file you were given that was like your scan was like super big megabytes and like super high res right. Um, why, what's the name come from? Is it because the scanner was like as big as a kick drum, or why? No, do you think I think it, I think it was actually a drum. I think it was a wheel like that. Oh, and so your art cool. would actually go on like a series. It would do a series of like passes with different like lights and filaments and capturage, you know. Um, right. And, and it was also used for larger formats. So I actually at the time had a killer scanner. Um, it was like a thousand bucks, which you know now they're like fifty bucks. But I had a killer <laughs> scanner, and um, it was just you, yeah. could, you couldn't scan larger than like. Uh, legal, which is eight and a half by fourteen. So the original Pusshead Octagon um, art was a big square. I'm, I hope Dan has it somewhere, but yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So I didn't do a ton of layout except for scanning that and then entering all the songs on the back, sort of thing. And we, I did some other sort of little piece of art with Dan. He wanted really random clip art on the back. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, but it's like there's a face of a dude, and then there's these two sort of clip art hands attached to him. And I think the dude is like maybe Chris Elliott's dad or some some super obscure celebrity, and he's on the back of the <laughs> album. Um, and then yeah. I think I think oh, and then and then the album got signed by um, by Mike Simpson, who um, worked with DreamWorks. And Mike Simpson um, was really famous back then for uh, having having worked with Beck and doing the Loser song. So kind of in that. Um, trip. Um, um, what did they? What did we call the it? Dust Brothers? Is he? Was he part of that group? Uh, yeah, he he was a Dust Brother. So it was yeah. Mike Simpson yeah. and um, what's the other dude's name? Something John King, 
And I think, okay. yeah, and I think Mike Simpson went on to do a ton of huge stuff. He even did like Umbop with uh, Hanson. Um, and he, right. did, he did a lot of stuff. I think he did stuff with Smashing Pumpkins. Um, but he did a Beastie lot. Beastie Boys, right? I Didn't think they work for on sure. And, and Paul's and, Boutique, I think. That For yeah. sure, that sounds familiar. And, and John King, the other dude, I know he definitely worked on that Steal Your Sunshine, Steal Your Sunshine song with Len. And oh, yeah. I love that song. Huge song. Yeah, I love that song because I think it has a Scarlet Begonias sample from Grateful Dead in it. I think that whole That's loop, tight. that whole sample is a Grateful Dead sample. And it's like you rarely hear a dead song get sampled and used in a way that isn't just like jam bandy sounding. Um, right. But I remember when, 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 um, when Mike Simpson signed Dan, we had to change the back art because they either added some more songs or we couldn't clear that dude's picture. So then, mm. so the DreamWorks release has the puss head on the front of the CD and on the back, it's a picture of the band. And, um, they decided to take their picture with like a local, um, homeless dude who like hung around Paradise Lounge a lot, who they sort of knew and they would like buy sandwiches for and stuff. Um, I forgot his name now, but he was really cool and he'd like watch your car for you and he was just a nice guy. And, um, but he's in the picture with Dan and I think Kid Koala, who's like a legendary scratcher and I think Cool Keith. Um, that project had all kinds of hiccups and weirdness for, for touring and all that. Um, so actually, to bring Jim Greer back into it, they, they put together a band for Dr. Octagon, and, and where I was sort of the art director or the album art guy, Jim was actually chosen to be in the band um, to bring it onto the, to the, on the tour, to bring it to a stage. So, wow. yeah, all, you know, obviously no one, you know, not obviously, but in, in that genre, like hip hop like that, especially like Dan's kind of sampling world, no, it's very rare that the whole band is in the room at once recording, right? A lot of it's samples, yeah. a lot of it's musicians that flew in to do their part. So Jim basically learned all the keyboard parts, whether they were samples or someone played them. And he, he was like the killer keyboard player. I think he did a couple other instruments too. Um, but they put a full band together. I went to their, um, big rehearsal where, where Mike Simpson actually came to watch it to say like, okay, yeah, let's, let's get some tour dates now. Right. And, um, and they did it. They had, they, they rented out or they, they borrowed slims for the afternoon and they went in and played like the album in front of, uh, Mike Simpson and one person didn't show up and that was cool. Keith. Um, so they basically <laughs> played, yeah, they basically played the instrumental version of the album, which actually is a release. They have an instrumental out. And right, one right. of the cool things Dan would do with his instrumentals is he would, um, he would, he would fortify them with more music. So it wasn't just vocals off, like bounce it. It was like vocals off, but then add all this other rad, colorful instrumentation. So, and, and some of the band kind of re remembered or knew those parts. So it was actually kind of like watching the live instrumental. Um, but needless to say, yeah. They do that with the Deltron record too, I remember. Yep. He had an instrumental release. Yep, and Love yeah. I think Dan, Dan picked that up somewhere early on in his career that that was a dope thing. Probably from being a DJ and wishing more albums were instrumental when you're playing right. and you're like mashing stuff up or you're trying to put some vocal, some old, you know, sultry singer over some new beat or something, right? It's cool if the other one doesn't have a vocalist on it. Um, but needless to say that that band never actually toured and the, the Dr. Octagon project never actually, or back then it never toured. It might've eventually toured like years later. Um, but Jim and I started to get, you know, work more closely together. Um, and eventually Dan started to bring me into the studio and Jim into the studio to just not only like learn the albums and, and then play when they, when they were doing live shows, but actually be on the albums. And so the same way that someone might sample like a Jimi Hendrix riff or a, uh, James Brown riff. He was like, I don't want to pay for that. Like, 
Brandon, why don't you come in and do like a little wah wah, you know, thing, or do a little, you know, or play a little yeah. chord and um, and and I'll weave that in, and then I don't have to clear samples. And he did the same with Jim. He's like, hey Jim, come play a little piano frill or a little melodica or something. And um, so Jim and I started to work together more and more in that in that aspect. And um, that was probably around like 98, 99, maybe 2000. Um, and then still, Jim and I had our own bands. Um, some of Dan's bands would go on tour. Some of the so right around now, I think is when Deltron might have happened. And um, I went out with the Deltron band, so I was on the record. And then I went and did my parts live. And I think Jim might have been in that band too. Um, and then there was another band called Lovage, which was with Mike Patton and Jennifer mm. Charles. Uh, Mike Patton from Faith No More and Mr. Bungle. Jennifer Charles was from um, Elysian Fields. It was sort of like just fire and ice. Like she was this quiet, like pin drop. Everybody quiet. I'm gonna sing, singer. And he was this like operatic, like Whoa! like ah, gnarly. And it yeah. was really cool actually on stage. But oh, how did it work? Oh, it was Mike Patton came out on stage and he had his keyboard set up over a big speaker, like a big right. like a big amp. And he was like he was doing theremin and just playing radio stations and just doing noise. And then being like ah, Mike Patton noise, you know all that. <laughs> and like all right. the beats were coming out of the speaker. And then like. I might be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure. And then like a couple minutes into the show, like the speaker opens up and it's like, Roselle, was he doing all the, the beats? And then the rest of the show That's is right. like him not hiding in the speaker. Um, but then, so in working with Dan like that and being on these albums and just Jim and I were kind of always in the studio with him. Um, one day he was like, I think this was around 2003. So Octagon had happened. Dell had, Deltron had happened. Lovage had happened. And Dan was um, starting to get hired out because of these great records um, by bands. And so one of the bands that was inquiring about working with them was called Galactic. And they're, they're kind of a jam mm. funk band from New Orleans. They sort of picked up where the meters left off in terms of um, playing a lot of festivals, touring all over, like super tour dogs, really great musicians, like really leaned in on like heavy musicianship. Um, he they they were like hey dan you know we got we, we've been listening to some of your new records they're super modern they have a modern feel to them a lot of people that would have produced a band like galactic would have been more kind of traditional 70s 70s 80s producer types so i think they were trying to sort of make a splash or um make a move into a more modern direction and sort of enter that sort of dj culture or even like beats culture hip-hop culture which made sense because their singer at the time his name was Houseman. I think is Theral DeClue is his real name, um, had sort of a, a great uh, kind of charisma and, and stage persona. And I think a lot of what they were doing, they had a lot of guest artists, um, really lent, lent to a, a more collaborative you know, world. And so they, they were talking to Dan. And so long story short, um, they, they decided to work with Dan and they, they hired him to do a record. And Dan was like, hey guys, you know, normally you guys um, come and, and play on my records. This time, I want you to come actually help help me with some of the production. So we had been watching Dan do Pro Tools and um, how he was, you know, cut stuff up or how he would record people and how we would set the compressors and the preamps. And we would get tips from him on how to, like, kind of produce music in a sense. And um, he sort of had us come down there and work in sort of two capacities down there, New Orleans. We went, we went to New Orleans for two weeks. Jim was sort of, if I can remember correctly, hired to be sort of more of a, a song arranger with the band because they could like go on and play like a jam for 20 minutes. And I was sort of hired to like kind of be a Pro Tools monkey and sort of cut stuff up. Um, and so quickly be able to show quick edits and quick versions of what if we did this with that. And um, mm -hmm. 
And, you know, we worked with Galactic for two weeks. Jim and I, you know, got crazy and partied in New Orleans and in the in the Bourbon Street, the, the what do you call it? Um, what is that neighborhood? Uh, the uh, French Quarter. The French Quarter. Um, and, and just yeah. had a killer, killer time. And we're both really different people. He's a little more, um, he's a little more um, uh, patient. And, um, <laughs> and I'm a little more, you know, shiny penny. You know, oh, there's something over there. Oh, there's something over there. So... We, it's kind of fun. I just, I think it, we, we, we got along well. And, you know, we, the last night we were there, we went out to like a pancake dinner or something or some pancake brunch or some late night thing. And we were with Dan and Jim and I were like, this was fun, dude. Like we kind of, we kind of like played off each other pretty well. And when we get back to the city, why don't we like offer this up as something we can help other bands with where you can maybe help with arrangements and songs and I can sort of cut stuff up in pro tools and, and we can kind of maybe produce bands. And, um, we did it. We started it. We, we named ourselves the Rondo Brothers um, upon getting home from New Orleans. Um, we still stayed pretty connected with Dan. In fact, um, Handsome Boy Modeling School, which was a project that happened after Dell and Lovage and, and Octagon, um, was one where Dan let Rondo Brothers open. Like, so we were, we were both a production group, um, but we also had our own, we made our own songs and, and stuff like that. So, um, and I think one of the biggest first wins we had um, as a team, Jim and myself, um, was working on a series of football commercials for Foot Conan Belding. So if you think if you've heard these like um, ad agencies like Foot Conan Belding, Goodby Silverstein, Deutsch, these are the companies that sort of invented like Got Milk campaign or some famous Mercedes campaigns. These are these big ad agencies, and they were doing this big um, this big campaign with football, Monday Night Football or something. I don't know. And um, they, I think they really wanted Dan to do it, but Dan sort of threw it to us and. And um, the way commercials work is, you know, you'll throw your hat in the ring or your ring in the hat. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you and many other producers will be sort of vying for the, um, for the, for the spot. And uh, we got the spot. And that was a big um, morale boost for us because we were like, you know, how are we going to generate income? And we got, you know, a, a big ticket for, for that, for winning that spot. And other people got paid out and people got their percentage and whatever. Mm -hmm. But we, we were like, wow, we could actually be producers, not only working with bands, not only writing our own songs, but also doing like um, music placement, in, you know, in commercials or maybe film and TV. And, and that was really the start of it, 2003. I met y'all through the matches because um, their manager knew, knew you guys through your projects with um, Head Automatica, like, and they were doing demos. And so he got me in touch with you guys. And then I remember I came to your studio in the hate and we did the Hot Topic song in just like a few hours. And it was such, I remember it was such a smooth, fast, so different than any session I'd been to. And it was like instantly comfortable. And from then we ended up doing lots of records and working on so much stuff, but it was just like this process of like, you have the spark of something good. Um, you guys are so good at making everyone comfortable, getting the vibe right. And I remember Jim was playing like the skiing game the whole time on his sidekick, like at some video game. And it was just like so different than any other session. But that song, blew up kind of on, on live one Oh five. And it was like this, the start of like our working relationship. And it was kind of like a cool, the cool timing of that. So like, what are some of your memories from that time from like when we first met? Yeah. I mean, I look back at that. I'm, I, I'm stoked about all of it. I look back at that and it's like, we didn't, you know, I, we didn't, we weren't formally, um, you know, schooled on producing and, and, and how to set up a studio. So, you know, we sort of like, did our due diligence and trying to learn. But I mean, that, the studio you came to, I think half of the recording happened like three stories below us. 
Right. And then half recording. So we were trying to create yeah. ISO booths and, and there's a lot of like, um, you know, technical nuances when it comes to music, right? Like impedance levels yeah. and ohms and homage and canceling and, and, and phantom power and all these things that we sort of were just kind of learning on the fly. And that was just a great day where everything sort of lined up and all the cables were working and, and the, the system worked and, and the guys, the band was um, really fun to work with and you, and it was, it was such a collaboration between like these young sort of Berkeley sounding punk kids and, and you and um, they rehearsed and it was like, that was cool, right? Yeah, very much. They came, yeah, yeah they weren't like, yeah. hold on, let me get some Chinese food and put my feet up on the couch. Like they, <laughs> they killed it. Um, and I think that's part of like a lot of younger musicians. Um, and I think young artists in general really have a lot of, um, a lot of input to their, to their career and, 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 and really, you know, go the extra, um, mile uh to really make to make stuff happen for them and that's a great example of it working um i think we we've yeah. worked with them a, a, a little bit after that and i think i we brought their bass player in to just play some bass lines for us he was really really good justin I yeah think. justin yeah. yep he's great and then we ended up doing the album with whitey cracker yep. where we did like the whole record in like a few weeks and the robot kills record and then um you let me and DJ kind of come in and do the zombie dinosaur record in your studio. Like you kind of monitored it. But at that point we were more fluid with the gear. But my point is you've always been so generous to this community and giving back. And yeah, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you. Cause you were really been a huge, you and Jim have been huge um, motivators and like door openers in my career. And I, you know, I don't think I'd still be doing this if it weren't for like the series of fortune that came from our collab. So thank you, Brandon. Of course. That's great to hear. And, and, and likewise, back to you, it's uh, working with such a prolific artist. You introduced us to tons of people, Whitey Cracker, um, um, Doc Pop, who's great, and we still connect. Um, uh, oh, yeah. What, um, what's the guy with the hoodie, Hoodie Allen? I remember he came in and did some stuff, and God, he, t he, was, he was recording. This was way back when social media was still not a huge thing. And I remember he was doing a session in our studio, and literally he had some sort of similar to, like, opening up a chat channel where you can comment while you're watching it. Like, you know, yeah. like someone watching someone's story on Instagram or whatever. He was doing like versions of that way back, like, you know, 15 years ago, I want to say. Because um, uh, he was working at Google when that's, that's right. when his that's career right. blew up. How that's did you right. link with him? Through you. I think he said he said that you told him that we had a studio that could be either rented or used or product producers could help or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to your point, you know, once once we were comfortable with people and we felt like they weren't going to, you know, rip us off and we they were sort of our friends, like there was no harm in sort of letting people, you know, run some of their own stuff or record a little. And I think um, the way you and, and DJ did, and, 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 you know, we would try to come in and, and, and give our two cents or, or clean some stuff, up, some stuff up or maybe massage a beat here or there. Um, but that was, that was great. I love that. And um, yeah, we would still be doing it. And, and, you know, that, what you just mentioned is really what Jim is still doing today. Jim is still very much developing artists, very much doing um, with, new, with new artists today what we did with you. Um, sort of in a younger, you know, um, early time in, in their careers and really trying to um, drive them in, in, into different, really positive directions. Um, and similarly, I think I see pictures he's posting and I chat with him frequently about so-and-so coming in and, you know, t tracking some guitar on their own or whatever, you know, it's, so it's all yeah. good. Yeah. It's all good. And um, the crazy thing is like, it's expensive to live in the Bay. So to have like friends who are connected there and resources, it's like a, it's like you're helping artists like, you know, in a lot of ways, like that's changed too. It's become more expensive. And, um, to that point, 
what um brandon how do you balance your music career and your creative projects with like your family life and your day job and like how or even like collabs with jim if you have time to do that what are some secrets to that because seems like you're still grinding yeah it's tough so i mean i definitely don't play music as much as i did um you know in, if you walk through my house well, there's a guitar over there there's another one over there yeah but um you know yeah. you walk through my house there's instruments in every room whether it's a flute or a banjo or a ukulele and um i'm definitely not like a disciplined instrument dude right now i mean i certainly can turn it on and off we had one of my bands had a reunion uh, maybe a half a year ago and i i relearned all our songs and you know i shredded it or whatever if you will um, or yeah. sort of give myself a B, B minus, B plus for that performance. But um, <laughs> I'm not recording music. I'm not, I'm not working with bands. I'm pretty much family with the two kids and the day job. Um, and yeah, to your point, I, I, the day job is creative because I'm a designer. Um, and that is bringing in enough salary to live in the city. Um, and I'm running the bakery, which is also a super creative outlet. So if you look at it, I'm still curating experiences, right? So as a designer mm -hmm. at Rodan and Fields, I'm a UX designer, which means I curate experiences. Um, what it looks like to buy an item, put it in your shopping bag and check out. That's an experience, right? Um, the bakery, you know, coming and, and buying cupcakes and sharing them with the party or whatever, that's another experience that I'm, I'm, I'm helping to create, right? Of course, I have lots of help in both those places, um, but it, I don't feel like I'm missing like the creative itch. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm itching the itch all the time. Um, would would super love to get back into music, and I'm seeing, I'm 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 slowly saving up to build a little bit of a smaller rig that I can have like kind of in this room, so I can like make beats with the kids and make little one-off songs and like tweak little remixes because that's the stuff I really liked a lot. Um, yeah, I love working with bands and artists like yourself, but I think I would just more go back in and, and be just doing stuff with me and my close little crew. I wouldn't be like opening up to like artists and rental time or whatever. I think at this point. Um, Jim still has fully functioning, fully real production, you know, facility. Um, we get together every now and then and like, we'll, we'll DJ together or we'll go and play a couple songs on a stage because there's someone needed to fill 15 minutes or something, but super informal, like, Hey, what are you going to wear? I don't know. Fluorescent stuff. Okay. I'll see you in 10 minutes, you know? Um, and what, what are you going to bring? Jimmy's like, I don't know, a chaos pad. What are you going to bring? I'm like, I don't know, a ukulele. Like, so, and I kind of <laughs> love that. And actually if that could happen yeah. more, I'd really be happy, but. Um, it's really, you know, the day job, the bakery and, um, and the kids, um, and music is not an afterthought, but it's definitely not where it was before. And I remember to that point, like talking about design and, um, user experience, I remember sessions with you, the, the screen would always look like kind of like, um, a pointless painting with how you cut up the sessions. It'd always be really colorful and really like Legos, whereas yeah. Jim would be just like, He'd be all about get it in one yes, take. You would yes. be like, what's cool about this? How do we do this? And like your arrangement and the way you'd lock in with Pro Tools taught me a lot because it's like a good session has both of that. It has good t good takes, but organized in a way that's like designing UX for a, for a site or like making cupcakes. It's the visual aesthetic yeah, and it's, yeah. it's always interesting seeing your talent. It's so very like, true. Similar. I and Jim, yeah. Jim we, we, always, we had little battles about that. He's like, dude, why are you doing that? I'm like, it just looks better when it's all justified left. <laughs> He's like, where does it right. matter where it's justified? That's the that's the shaker part. We could put it anywhere, you know. Um, right. Yeah, you're right. With the cupcakes, I remember, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in the culinary world, and it was the visual appeal of the mini cupcakes all lining up that was really attractive versus just making like awesome beef jerky or cookies or you know something else. But 
Yeah, um, I'm very happy. I love the family. I love, I love my friends. I love the world. Um, it's great chatting with you. I appreciate it, Brandon. And I appreciate how we've kept in touch. And um, I want to end with, let's end with a Rondo. Is there a track, like one of your favorite tracks or maybe something Ooh. that comes to mind we'll dr- put here at the end? Yeah, um, I do like the Hey Stewardess song on, because um, we didn't really touch on Head Automatica, but Daryl from Head Automatica, while we were in that band, both Jim and I, got Daryl to sing on um, some Hawaiian, a Hawaiian album we were putting together called, um, called No Time Left on Earth. And um, we got him to collaborate with this girl, Samantha Stolenwork. And um, it's called Hey Stewardess. It's really fun, but uh, it's just so cool that cool. like Daryl, the hipster from Long Island, like played on the, <laughs> you know, the, the San Francisco Goofy Guys record, you know? Um, That's tight. Vin, Vinny actually mentioned this song, and, and so listeners know about it, but I've never played it on the podcast, so that could be... That's cool. Let's drop that in. Yeah, love it. And where can people follow you? Like, is there... Do you, the Mission Minis social media, or like, where yeah. can people get at you if they want to say Totally. We're, yeah. we're Mission Minis on, on Instagram. I'm Brandon Cupcake on Instagram. Um, and the bakery has a website, missionminis.com, who actually built the website was the guy that built Hoodie Allen's website way back in the day. I'm trying to... <laughs> give it a facelift but that hoodie allen connection connected us with someone who made can make a website interestingly enough that's crazy um, yeah that's a small world yeah very uh, missionminis.com mission minis on instagram brandon cupcake on instagram um, ronder brothers has a pretty active channel on spotify um we've got stuff on youtube tons of videos on youtube one of our videos has like a million views i have no idea how it got that if maybe some bot, some bot gave it it or so it, we got big in china or japan someday and we didn't know <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm definitely around. Um, those are good channels. Jim's all over the place. Rondo Brothers still has a website, rondobrothers.com. We have some remixes up there. Something we did with Lily Allen, some other stuff. Still pretty relevant. But yeah. Lots of content, lots of flavor, both visual and uh, gustatory. And Brandon, I appreciate you making time to talk, man. And um, yeah, thank you. It's yeah. good to see you. It's good to catch up. Likewise. Let's do this again sometime. That sounds tight. Cool. All right, here we go. This is Hey Stewardess uh, by the Rondo Brothers. Peace. We thought it was a golf course, but then we got there it was just a bunch of grass. And I had one new cigarette. We tipped it in for the I blacked out out in the sand Cause you left a hole That only a photo can boast When there's a picture not even worth the word Because I want to take it now When there's a picture not even worth the word But when we got there it was Only half of the plans And I thought you were my answer But when I got here it was Just a girl with your hands And you left a hole That only a photo can close yeah. When there's a picture 
Ace the word S did you miss My fourth candidate advance And I ain't what I used to I ain't quick like I used to I fumble heater and hand Cause you left a home That only was the Ronda Brothers featuring Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw. That song was called Hey Stewardess. Next week, we got Akira the Dawn. Now, this is a dude who I've known about for years. He was My first interview I ever did was on his internet show when Radio Pet Fencing came out in the UK. He opened for Weird Science MC Chris and myself in 2011 on our UK tour when I was about to drop Lars Attacks. And Akira the Dawn is a straight-up gangster who created this genre called Meaning Wave, and it's a really cool interview. So check that out. Thank you to both of the Ronda Brothers, and thank you to all of you for keeping it going and for your love and support. Stay safe. Uh, Black Lives Matter, of course, and uh, we are all in this together. One species, baby. That's what's up. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Have a good week. Bye. Oh, happy summer. Chill.